Welcome to a new season of Talking Aerospace Today from Siemens Digital Industry Software. I'm Dale Tutt. I'm the Vice President of Global Industries at Siemens Digital Industry Software. I formerly was the Vice President of Aerospace and Defense Industry here at Siemens, and I was previously working on Talking Aerospace Today with my partner, Scott Salzweedle. But today, I'm excited to introduce the new team, the new aerospace team for Talking Aerospace Today. First, I'd like to introduce Todd Tuttle. He's the Vice President of Aerospace and Defense. He joined Siemens a few months ago. Good afternoon, Todd. Good afternoon, Dale. It's uh, great to be here, and thank you for the, the great welcome. And then I'd also like to introduce Patty Russo. She will be the new host for Talking Aerospace today, and she's our Global Marketing Manager for the Aerospace and Defense industry. Hello, Patty. Hello, Dale. Good to be with you and Todd, and I'm looking forward to uh, kicking off this episode with you as well. Awesome. I'm very glad to have both of you here with me today, and we're going to have a lot of fun talking about where things are heading in the aerospace and defense industry and getting some of Todd's views on uh, digital transformation and how it's going to help our aerospace and defense customers. So first, let's learn a little bit more about Todd and Patty. So Patty, Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background and how you came to be at Siemens? I come to Siemens with a diverse and broad background in marketing, specifically business to business and storytelling, strategy, content, much in the industry around IT and specifically engineering. I'm new to my role as of June of this year. Excited to be here. New to my role, but not new to Siemens. I enjoyed about 17 years supporting a cross-section of solutions and verticals across the company. Much of that work in the aerospace and defense industry, working both with the solutions and the verticals, as I mentioned, as well as customers. So I've talked to quite a few of our customers over the years and am excited to be here officially full-time. Appreciate the opportunity to usher in this next iteration of Talking Aerospace today with you and Todd and uh, taking the baton and running with it. Hope to do right by my predecessor, Scott. He did a great job and appreciate the momentum that he and Dale established with the podcast. So thanks for the opportunity. And I look forward to um, a great series of episodes. Great, Patty. Thank you very much. And we're very excited to have you joining the team and welcome aboard. And so, Todd, you come from a strong background in aerospace and defense. Why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your past experiences and and your career before you joined Siemens? Yeah, thank you, Dale. I've been in aerospace uh, my entire career, which is more than 30 years. Been with several companies. I started in aerospace for a company called McDonnell Douglas, uh, which eventually merged with Boeing in St. Louis. Uh, My background is, is in engineering. I'm a systems engineer done systems engineering on many, many aircraft uh, in my past. Primarily, the work has been in flight control systems engineering. I've done a lot of flight control work when I was uh, in St. Louis. I was very involved in the F-15E program. If you've seen the Top Gun movie, I think of the Super Hornet that was in that movie as my jet. 
I was uh, involved directly in the development of that aircraft from very, very early on, from choosing suppliers, from developing flight control systems. Spent a lot of time uh, in that cockpit, probably more time than Tom Cruise did uh, in the cockpit in the flight sim. So uh, again, didn't fly it for real like he did, but uh, spent a lot of time in the cockpit in St. Louis and really got to know it. So Everything in that movie was very familiar to me. So did that for several years, uh, went on uh, to a program called X-32, maybe one of the, the, the less attractive aircraft in the world, in the Joint Strike Fighter world. As Boeing lost that program, I went on to uh, change companies after about 15 years there to another company called Moog Aircraft. Moog Aircraft was the prime supplier and integrator of the control system, the electrohydrostatic control system for the F-35. They hired me to lead the uh, systems team on that. So I worked that program for seven years, eventually became the chief engineer for the control system there at Moog on the F-35. Then moved on from working programs to really being functional leadership, became uh, a director of engineering eventually at Moog for systems, software, and electronics, and really gave me a great opportunity and a broad background to work with kind of the who's who in aerospace. All the big names got involved in a lot of the aircraft flying today, both uh, commercial and military. So I have a broad background. When I started in military, my time at Mo gave me a broad background in commercial aircraft and commercial certification as well. After 17 years, uh, I guess, in, I guess really I'll, uh, before I go on to the next thing, we'll talk about digitalization. About 10 years ago, while I was still at Moog, working in, in engineering leadership, it became obvious that we really needed to improve our processes and our work in systems engineering. Really got involved in model-based systems engineering and in uh, digital transformation. Uh, that's where I was really introduced about 10 years ago to this whole idea of, is there a better way to do engineering? Then after about 17 years at Moog, my wife and I decided we really needed a change. Uh, and I was uh, fortunate enough to secure a great position at Raytheon Missile Systems in Tucson. And I spent three years working at Raytheon Missile Systems, working on kind of a different field of engineering and uh, guidance systems development for missiles. Met all kinds of great people and all kinds of great things. But the common theme was still digital transformation. And I was very involved and very passionate about digital transformation at Raytheon as well. And then about four months ago, met you, Dale. Got this great opportunity to come to Siemens. And I just couldn't be happier to be here. So thank you for the opportunity. and. Thank you for passing the baton uh, on the podcast. It's, it's great to be here. Great background. And again, we're very happy to have you joining us here at Siemens and, and the Talking Aerospace Today team. It was such an interesting career. It's my experience with flight control systems is probably the most complex systems on, on aircraft today. And I guess it was your systems on the F-18 Super Hornet that uh, enabled uh, Tom Cruise to do his 9G pitch-up as he uh, was ending the movie there. So I, I kind of think that that movie was all about the work I did. It's really <laughs> it, was it, was, it was all about it was all that, about right? Todd. That, that's that's I, what I, I thought. My, listen, my wife would tell you the same. She got tired of me sitting next to her <laughs> talking about the movie. but I, I'll go back and look at the credits and, uh, and see if they were attributed that to you. So. you know, somehow I didn't get a credit. I don't know. But maybe I should. All right. <laughs> All right. So so what compelled you to move to Siemens, this new role at Siemens? Is there something about what Siemens is doing for A&D customers that really drew you here? Again, I, I talked about my, my work in digital transformation at Moog Aircraft. I talked about my role in digital transformation at Raytheon. And one of the things that I struggled with was really having the the ability 
to tightly integrate our solutions. And, and in the end, at both companies, while we were working with Siemens and doing great work with Siemens at Moog, and uh, we were Siemens customer at Raytheon too, at the end of the day, uh, at those companies, we were going to end up with point-to-point solutions some, and some customized work. I really wanted to influence the, the industry and have an opportunity to really get in at the ground floor of digital transformation uh, and make significant improvements, not just or contributions, significant contributions, not just to one company, but to the whole industry. And when uh, you came along and talked to me about this opportunity at Siemens, I thought, that's it. That's the opportunity I'm looking for to really work at the heart of uh, digital transformation and really help uh, companies across the industry improve the way they do engineering. That was the key reason. Awesome. Well, is there anything in your career that you look at directly that, uh, or your experience that will benefit you for this role as you start working with RA and D customers here at Siemens? The first thing that when I think about working with customers is that I've been where they've been. I've had the opportunity, great opportunity in my career to work with a lot of great people, a lot of great engineers, on a lot of great programs. Uh, and a lot of the struggles that they're having today, I had myself from a, a lot of the issues they're dealing with. So I've been there, developed, a, uh, had the opportunity to work on a, a lot of aircraft beyond just Tom Cruise's aircraft, but a lot of different aircraft in the industry. And I think it gives me the ability to empathize with where they're at and understand the things they struggle with. And and I really see that as uh, one of my primary roles at Siemens is to be the voice of the customer and to bring that experience into the company and say, this is this is the, the things, the, the issues, the problems that aerospace companies are looking to partner with Siemens to help. For sure. So Todd, I'm going to jump in and ask a question. The voice of the customer is critically important, especially in this industry, especially as we see so many changes, constant changes, changes more quickly. So based on that experience, based on that voice of customer experience, what's the biggest challenge that you see today in the A&D industry? I know there are a lot, but if you had to pick one, what would it be? Say, gee, I have to pick just one, huh? Biggest challenge. I guess I'll talk about a near-term challenge. I'll think about uh, when I talk to customers, it's the challenges with workforce. And especially in the aerospace, especially in aerospace areas and companies where they're doing classified work, they're really struggling with finding all the engineers. Uh, One of the things that uh, COVID did to companies like aerospace You're building real products and you've got to come on site and work with real things. COVID-19 showed showed us that a lot of companies can do the the work from home, work in your pajamas in in your home office. And a lot of people decided they didn't want to drive into an office anymore. And that really affected aerospace in a lot of ways. And a lot of really great, talented people have left aerospace. At my last count, I think I'm I'm looking at more than 20,000 I guess aerospace companies worldwide are short uh, more than 20,000 engineers right now. It's a significant problem. There's a lot of work to be done, a lot of great innovation, but uh, do we have the engineers to do that? So that's a huge issue, obviously. And you mentioned the idea of working virtually, and that's a great segue into one of the topics that is near and dear to our hearts, which is the digital twin. That's a virtual representation, obviously, of the real product. And we've talked about digital twins for over a decade, if not longer. Many companies do use the digital twin in their product development process. How are they being used now? And 
how much value are customers currently getting from digital twins? What made me ask this question was your comment about the workforce. Can the digital twin help at least address some of the pain related to a shrinking workforce? And how else can they get more value from a digital twin? At its core, when I think about the digital twin and its purpose, what I want to do, if, if, I'm, if I've got to do something that I'm going to call real in the physical world, there's a cost to that in terms of the time to create it, in terms of the materials. And I'd like to do that right the first time. I'd like to not have to do a lot of things physically and make a lot of mistakes there. And, and I really see the primary benefit of a digital twin as this place to learn, this way to experiment, this way to optimize. Uh, and the digital twin gives our customers the ability to, we talk about it, you know, I'm going to try it before I fly it, right? If it's an aircraft, I want to fly it virtually. If I'm talking about maybe a manufacturing facility, gee, I don't want to spend tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars on a manufacturing facility to find out I bought the wrong machines. I'd much rather make that mistake virtually first. So uh, at, at its core, a digital twin is a way to learn and optimize. And if I think about it, you know, I'm a company now, I have products to build. What I don't want to do is have to do things over and over again. That takes more time, more staff, more money. So if I can optimize my process, if I can optimize my product, I can do it right the first time when I do it physically. That saves me an enormous amount of time and an enormous amount of money. I can help get my product to market faster, uh, and I need fewer people to do it. That, that's one. There, there are many others. From my own personal experience, using simulations, using the digital twin to really prove out your systems before you get into flight test has tremendous benefits. Companies can't afford to have a big design change in the middle of their flight test program. It might add six, eight months to, of delay to their program and a lot of cost. And so my own personal experience is just, you know, you avoid those design changes, you understand your processes faster. I would almost argue that the amount of investment that you make in your digital twins to save those cost overruns and those schedule delays later on in the program, you almost can't calculate the ROI. It's so large. It really is a huge benefit for a lot of these companies that are using it. So for the companies that are using it, obviously they understand the benefit and are seeing outcomes that relate to those benefits. So if I'm a customer, though, scratching my head going, this is great. I hear about this digital twin thing. I've been hearing about it for a long time. We haven't adopted it yet. If I'm a customer with that mindset, how do I bring that theory to reality? So many challenges can be addressed with the digital twin, but there are a lot of customers that haven't adopted it yet. So what suggestions or within an organization, what can they do to move forward with bringing that idea of, yeah, I get it. The digital twin is great to reality of, okay, yeah, I, I can see some of the benefits that the customers that are using it are achieving. Okay, so I guess I'll look at the, the idea of a digital twin or the idea of digital transformation. It's a journey. It's a destination that I think any of us will ever perfect. But I would say, look at, look at where you're at. Look at the processes you have and start with probably if, you're, if you don't have a digital twin, most of what you do uh, is document-based. It's not based in uh, models. And I would say, or, or are you and maybe uh, in your mechanical design or electrical design, 
are you using models? You know, it's a start with that, you know, this idea of, of what are you modeling? And then once you, you get this idea of this model-based kind of idea, start to connect and move that into this, this world of simulation. And at its simplest form, if I'm designing something mechanical, I'll do this mechanical design and I'll, I'll understand if I take part A and part B, I want to mate them uh, inside a, a digital model to see that they do it. That's kind of the simplest fundamental thing, maybe the first building block, uh, just to see before I go build these physical parts, will they fit together? You build from there, whether mechanically or electrically, and then maybe you want to start looking at, well, I want to know more beyond just can I build it, but I want to know how will it function and start looking uh, in simulation in terms of performance simulation. How will it perform? And I can look at that in a smaller subsystem and then build it up into a larger system. It's a journey. If you haven't started, you're not going to get there in six weeks. And there's incremental value in all of those stages of, again, at the simplest stage of I built two pieces, uh, I'm going to cut two pieces of metal. Let me make sure they'll fit together before I cut them. I agree with Todd. It's It's a journey and there is a learning process. When you think about the digital twin and how do you really leverage it to do your business operations better and more effectively, it's about your people, your processes, and the technology, the solutions, the modeling tools that you use to actually do that modeling. And so I always like to think that it's important to be able to bring out-of-the-box solutions as much as possible so that you can quickly, more quickly model the characteristics of the system of interest or the, of the product of interest. But then it's also about connecting it with the digital thread to all the elements, to be able to trace requirements into your models, into your verification processes. And so it's bringing together all of the information and insights that you have about your product and linking them there together in a way that you're able to start to automate some of those processes and those workflows. And so once you start using the digital twin, as Todd says, you start with one system, you, you develop it, you define it, maybe you validate it to uh, physical systems. And then as you apply that, those same techniques, those same methods to the next model, you now have confidence in the predictions that it's making. And so it is a journey. And my experience, and I think a lot of companies' experience, is they get a benefit the first time, the first program they work through, and then they continue to get benefits. So maybe they get 20% the first time and 20% the second time and 20% the third time. And over a while, you know, all those 20% start to add up, really continue to grow and evolve as you go through multiple programs. So it, very powerful. And Dale, if I could add one more thing to what you said, you mentioned people, processes, and tools. And I really want to talk about the people side. Certainly there's the technology and technology is important, but technology alone won't help you get uh, to the transformation uh, that you want to find. It really requires organizational change management. I think back to my time at Moog, I kind of had this idea uh, the first time I started digital transformation that we'd create some great thing and everyone will love it. It doesn't work that way. Uh, You need to work with people. It's also good to partner with great companies. And we were fortunate back at Moog uh, to be partnered with Siemens in our digital transformation back eight, 10 years ago and got some great advice from Siemens about that and some great help, as well as a number of other companies that we partnered with. So I'd encourage you to think about your people. Think about, as Dale said, your processes. Think about partnering in ways, the ways other companies can help you and it's kind of a holistic thing and do it in stages. Don't try to live in a vacuum and, and launch it as a big bang. Thank you both for sharing your expertise on the digital twin and digital transformation. Unfortunately, we're out of time for today, 
but we will continue this insightful conversation next time. I'm Patty Russo, and I hope you'll join Dale, Todd, and myself on the next episode of Talking Aerospace today.